the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com and CC1Consulting.com, and I'm delighted to be back again with you today. Um, today, we're going to talk about how to shine uh, from good to world class with sports psychologist Simon Hartley and ultramarathon world record holder Andy McMenemy. Um, but firstly, I'd like to say a big thank you to Vinay Palmer. Uh, Vinay did a great job last week uh, talking to me about bounce back ability. Um, he had some wonderful feedback on the show, and I personally thought he had a great uh, voice for the radio and, and an incredible story. So what is the magic formula that makes some people and some businesses exceptional and others just simply good? Now, we've touched on this subject on a number of occasions in a, a number of guises with a number of great guests, and it's always great just to keep hearing different perspectives on it. Now, a few months back, Simon Hartley joined me on, uh, on a great show. I, I just thought the content was absolutely fascinating. He was with double Commonwealth winning gold medalist swimmer Chris Cook. So if you've not heard that show, do check it out from the archive because uh, some really interesting information in there. And for me, a very memorable show from last year. Now, Simon is a sports psychologist and a performance coach at Be World Class, and he helps athletes and business people to get their mental game right. Now, during the last 15 years, he's worked with gold medalists, world record holders, Olympians, championship winning teams. He's worked really at the highest levels of sport from premiership football, um, rugby union, golf, tennis, even motorsport. Um, and since 2005, he's applied those principles of world-class sports psychology to business, education, the charity sector, and healthcare. And he's written two books, Peak Performance Every Time, and his second, which is entitled How to Shine, which was published in 2012. This time, Simon is accompanied by Andy McMenemy. Now... Andy would tell you that he's as ordinary as the next guy. And having had a, an hour with him on the phone recently, he's really down to earth. He's really easy to chat to. Um, but he does admit to having done some extraordinary things. And even by the high standards of some of the guests on this show, he's from climbing the heights of his corporate, of the corporate career ladder. He's held very senior management roles in big companies. Um, Andy just keeps pushing himself outside of his comfort zone. He's completed some of the toughest foot races on earth, including the infamous Marathon de Sable. Now, if this was a competitive show, we could say, well, you know, a couple of guests have already completed that. But listen to this. Back in 2006, there was an incredible world record was set by American runner Dean Canazas. Uh, he ran 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 cities. And I bet many people thought that couldn't be beaten. Uh, Andy decided to raise the bar in 2011. 
he completed a world record bid to run 66 ultra marathons. Um, I think that's about 30 to 31 miles per event. I'm sure Andy will um, clarify that for me. Um, in 66 consecutive days in the 66 official cities of the UK. And despite crippling injuries, including a damaged Achilles tendon on day two and strong medical advice to abandon his attempt, he carried on and he succeeded against the odds. He's also proudly carried the Olympic torch in 2012. He's an inspirational speaker and a performance development coach. So a big welcome to Simon and Andy. Good morning. Good afternoon. Hi. <laughs> uh, good, good morning and good afternoon. I think we're just into the afternoon, uh, but in, in, in the States, we're going to be in the morning, so um, it's interesting, um, all sorts of different time zones. So, Simon, um, what made you decide to write the book, How to Shine? Start there. I, I started, as you said, working with, with athletes uh, and purely with athletes. One of the things I always noticed within a group of swimmers, for example, that there might be 30, 40 swimmers in a pool. Most of them go into the pool at the same time, they come out at the same time, they have the same training card, but actually there's a vast difference in the achievement that, that those swimmers get. Some of them will be okay average swimmers, some will go on to be national level, some will actually kind of transcend the boundaries and become world class. So I would look at groups of athletes training together and wonder, well, what is the difference? Why did that guy become world class? What is it about him? Because Often, like in Chris Cook's case, we were talking about Chris Cook earlier, he wasn't the tallest in the group, he didn't have the biggest hands, he didn't have the greatest physiology on earth, and yet he was the one in that group that became world class. And as I looked across more squads and, and um, more sports, I, I just asked myself the question, what is it that differentiates that person? What was it that made the difference? And that's really what, what inspired the book uh, and, and kind of inspired me to go and research it. Excellent, and uh, we'll find out more, I guess, from you from you soon about what are those kind of key elements that really distilled that. But um, let's move over to you, Andy. Because first, you just like to say uh, congratulations on your achievement. I mean, for anyone who's listening, like myself, who's experienced the pain of running single marathons, you know, sixty-six ultra marathons in sixty-six days and sixty-six cities is almost uh, beyond uh, my comprehension. I mean, what what made you decide to do it? Well, first of all, it's not a lot if you say it quickly, Chris. <laughs> um, it's a good question. The inspiration, as you quite rightly said, came, came from having read Dean Karnazes' book. Um, in 2009, I was running a race in the Namibian Desert. It was the Namibian, Namibian Desert 24-hour ultramarathon. Effectively, we were running 78 miles in 24 hours across the oldest desert on the planet. And I made a cardinal sin during that um, event. I took a protein powder, which I hadn't tried and tested in training. And about three o'clock in the morning, it caused a lot of complications for me, which made it very, very difficult to complete the race. But at my lowest ebb, I just had to get my mind off the pain and onto something much more intriguing, much more interesting. And I remembered Dean's story and I thought, if I was ever going to do something like that, how would I do it and, and where would I do it? And in that instance, at three o'clock in the morning on the edge of the skeleton coast, uh, Challenge 66 was born. Wow. And so why 66? Well, I looked at the world marathon record, which was 52 consecutive marathons and uh, originally set out to attempt to beat that. 
um, a Belgique runner was actually contesting the same record at the same time and had already taken his effort beyond 52. So uh, there were only 66 official cities in the UK that I was planning to run from. So the idea then came to uh, just scroll it up to the next level of difficulty and the International Ultramarathon Association designate the first category of ultramarathon at 50 kilometres or 31.07 miles. So that's uh, that's where that came from. Right. And a standard marathon is 26.2. So it's uh, nearly yeah. another five miles a day more, isn't it? Yeah. Amazing. And how do you actually go about training for such a such a task? Well, that was an interesting challenge, Chris, because um, I don't think there's a training plan in the world that would get you fit for 66 ultramarathons at the same consistency every single day. Most people train a typical marathon training plan for 12 or possibly 16 weeks, and they don't go out and do the same race the next day at the same intensity, do they? So it caused a lot of problems for me. I couldn't quite figure out um, where the priorities lay that I had to focus on. Um, and it, it was quite interesting to see a lot of parallels with Simon's book. And I think that's, that's, you know, that's why we're kind of sharing this, isn't it, this, this story today, because and there's so many parallels in your experience uh, that Andy realised um, so Simon realised through um, the work that he did with How to Shine um, that you know your your story beautifully kind of is, acts as a, a metaphor for it, doesn't it? So, yeah, I just had to I had to know what my job was, Chris, and I had to focus on the five essentials that would guarantee success. Hmm. Uh, and, and in your opinion, Andy, you know, as we said, it's a great metaphor for the principles of How to Shine. I mean, what, you know, why for you is this just a, a you know a perfect example, really? Simon. For me, for me, Chris. Both for Simon. Well, all of the guys that I interviewed for How to Shine, um, they all started off from a very, very modest standpoint, a, a modest starting point. They were all, and, and would all say, like, as Andy does, that they're ordinary people. Um, Kenny, who's a twice Michelin star chef, started out in his career because he failed to get into the RAF and he started working in a pub. Um, started enjoying working in a pub and started becoming interested in food and, and therefore sort of started that journey to become a twice Michelin star chef. Um, James, who was the world barista champion that I interviewed, he fell into the world of barista, in his words, completely by accident after having done a number of random things. Those random things included being a croupier and um, selling gas and electric um, services door-to-door -door in Leeds in, in Yorkshire. So... From a certain point of view, all of them had a journey. They took a journey, and it started in a very, very, very modest place. Um, you know, Andy and I were talking about where this all began and why he ran the marathon de Sabre in the first place. Uh, and he said, you know, I was sitting fishing, thinking about all the stuff that I, I told myself I'd do one day um, after having been made redundant. And, you know, that therefore, there, there are an awful lot of people um, who have become world-class and, and started in the same place as you, I, or anybody else. Um, but there's a, a number of principles by which they worked. And those principles and adopting those principles actually is what's taken them on to become world class in, in their field. I, I think you make a really interesting <clears throat> point there because I, I was actually having 
uh, quite a strong debate with somebody uh, a couple of days ago who was referring to people who achieved exceptional accompli- accomplishments um, as being kind of freaks of nature, uh, which I actually I didn't particularly like because the Andy, the are you that- a freak of nature? <laughs> 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 it's great because it's so you know they're saying you know, that's not that's not the common you know, these people are kind of almost like freaks they're outliers they're doing something um, really kind of extreme but the thing that I've found from um, everybody that I have spoken to I would say has, has achieved exceptional things is that they you know they generally all start from a common um, point uh, a, a, a normal point uh, and they've mm. been very focused on on a dream. And just kept chipping away and, and moving towards it. I mean, Andy, what's your view about this? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a really interesting concept. I, I think people who do go out of their way to achieve extraordinary things, um, th- there's a couple of things. I think they're extremely curious about their abilities. Um, and for me, it's it's this little tickle of a question that says, "Wow, I wonder what it would feel like to achieve that." And I thought that when I read Dean Karnazes' book, you know, I wonder how he felt on the finishing line when he completed the whole exercise what must he have felt like um, and I think that's that's what drives a lot of us it's that curiosity of you know if I can go the distance if I can get to that point and overcome everything I need to overcome to get there th- the payoff must be amazing mm. uh, and was it it was it was absolutely um, Uh, I I, I said it was a massive privilege to have been mentally strong enough and physically strong enough to have accomplished that challenge. But it's um, many times, Chris, I think we all start to appreciate when we run a marathon, you know, it's not about the medal. It's not about the T-shirt. It's about what you become by overcoming all of the difficulties from the very first training run to competing in the event itself and and crossing that finishing line with a smile on your face that doesn't go away for three days. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those things. I, mean, I remember someone saying to me, you know, you've, you've, you've either you've either run a marathon or you haven't. Once you've run a marathon, you you become part of almost like a distinct sort of group. And, and I have to say, you know, running a marathon, it was I felt a great sense of pride of, of joining a, a group of people who've who've gone that distance. I mean, clearly a marathon now seems very small talking to you. <laughs> well, you know, I, I still don't take the marathon distance lightly, and I think everyone who competes even steps on the finishing sorry on the start line to compete in a marathon has earned the right to say you know that they're they're a runner and they take themselves seriously um as as far as their abilities are concerned i don't mean they take themselves seriously as their their ego yeah it's it's interesting that um part part of the um achievement is reaching the destination but actually a larger part of the achievement as andy said going through the experience and and going through the journey actually is almost what qualifies you um at the end of the uh, at the end of the experience um that to get there is great and to imagine what it would be like to get there is one thing but but actually to go through it and experience it not just to stand on the finish line but actually to reach the finish line go through the journey to get there i think is is where the almost the, the fulfillment comes from in in many cases and that's a good the scary the scary bits putting the sorry the scary bits putting the plan on paper <clears throat> and, and, and did you do that with your with your yours? It was, I guess, it quite a. I can imagine spreadsheets and things with your activity. No, it, it was very a very simple mechanism, Chris. Um, I, I looked at my biggest um, mileage week. I'd run 156 miles in six days, competing in the Marathon de Saab, and to achieve 
the weekly mileage in Challenge 66 meant I had to grow that to 217 miles a week, which is a 39% increase on my previous best. That was scary. When I looked at the monthly mileage, the most I'd ever done in training was 220 miles. The most I was going to have to do in Challenge 66 was 963 miles, which is a 437% increase. It's huge. And that was scary. I bet it was. I, I, and I had um, I've got a, a a friend who's been on the show before, Billy Schwer, who's a former world champion boxer. Um, I mean, Billy's story. He's he's he um, he decided to go into boxing because he was getting beaten up by his sisters when he was young. Decided no one would do that. No one would do that to him again. And then he got into boxing and thought, oh, you know, I'd love to be a world champion one day. And he he had to go in the boxing ring every time with the attitude, "Kill or be killed." Mm. Uh, uh, and uh, and so he, that, that motivated him to raise his game all the time because he could seriously get killed at that level in the boxing ring. Uh, mm. Now, with what you did, there must have also been that risk too. There was, and, and, and the, the risk came in, in, in the fear of what happened if I failed, having spent a year of planning and preparing and uh, you know, having people waiting to greet us in every city as we went around the country and all the money we were raising for charity. If I failed, I let the whole team down and I let the national team down that was supporting us as far as the fundraising was concerned. So that was a big worry. That was my risk. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to just, um, we've got about three minutes to commercial break. So Simon, I wonder before we go into the next section, maybe if you could you know, outline for us uh, the key principles that you've found, um, uh, uh, the things that, the things that you've really noticed that exceptional people do well, and then maybe in the next section after the break, we can kind of explore those in a bit more detail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are, as I found, eight common characteristics or habits by which world-class people work um, and that have sort of informed their journey. The first one is to have a dream, um, to have a passion, which really fuels you. It, you know, most of them didn't start out necessarily wanting to become world-class they just wanted to become better at what they did because they loved what they did um, the second one is to focus on the next step and most of them will understand where they want to get to absolutely but they don't tie themselves up in the destination they don't tie themselves up in the outcome they very much focus on one step at a time and make sure they get that right the third one is to keep it simple you know we talked to Chris Cook about how he simplified what he did down to a very very um, sort of tangible um, two lengths of the pull statement um, they don't compromise they push the envelope as hard as they can they are mentally tough they take responsibility and when they do that they take control and they are themselves and those are the eight points that I found consistently um, in world-class people whether they be a chef a mountaineer a u.s navy seal or the chief exec of a world science organization or some nutter who runs lots of ultra marathons <laughs> <laughs> excellent we're going to go to commercial break now and after the break we'll uh, we'll start off by talking to uh, to a nutter who runs lots of ultra marathons so uh, we should be back to you again in just a couple of minutes When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? 
Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, BeMoreAchieveMore.com, CC1Consulting.com. I'm with Simon Hartley and Andy McMenemy, and we're talking about how to shine from good to world class. And, and before the break, uh, Andy and Simon were, were sharing various things about uh, how to shine and about um, Andy's experiences with the uh, ultramarathon. And then Simon shared some, some key principles that he'd noticed that exceptional people do really well. And I've noted those down. I want to ask you um, a question, some questions around those now. Um, so let's start with you, Andy. Um, the first one that Simon mentioned was to have a dream. And many people have lots of dreams. Um, I have lots of dreams and I have ideas that I think uh, uh, and dreams that I think, oh, yeah, should I pursue that one or should I not? I mean, how do you know that a particular dream should be followed through, Andy? That's really interesting. For for me personally, um, all I can say is when I... When an idea comes into my head, either from having read a book or seeing someone talking and, and gaining that inspiration, um, I get I get a little tickle of adrenaline when that when when that idea pops into my head, and it, it's quite interesting because I, I get excited about the fact that I've had this little tickle of adrenaline by just thinking about this this crazy idea, and then the idea seems to embed itself in my mind and, and, and won't let me go. Uh, I read a lovely quote a long time ago that said, never turn your back on an idea that you think about at least once a day. And that's what happened for me, Chris, with with Challenge 66. Once I conceived of the idea, having been inspired by Dean Carnassus, it just wouldn't leave me alone. And I just kept thinking about, well, you know, what would you do about this? And what would you do about that? And what if this happened? Um, And what would it feel like just to stand on that finishing line and look over your shoulder and realize that you'd done it? You know, you'd, you'd achieved your goal, you'd achieved your dream. 
you'd you'd stepped up on the on the world of endurance and planted your flag firmly in the map and said, I'm happy to be measured by that. Um, that little tickle of adrenaline just just kept coming back day after day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do you think was, is that something that kind of biologically came? Obviously, the, the, the squirt of adrenaline came from you. But is it is it something that's the source of its you, or is there something more spiritual? I, I remember reading a, 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 just an idea that fascinated me. It was a, a book by a guy called Charles Barker. It was called Power of Decision. And he said that ideas are seeking you as much as you're seeking them. And that really kind of got me thinking. <laughs> I think that's a, a really valid point. But I think you, you need to, you need to, you know, bring them into the world. They've got to be born as, as a crystallized idea. They've got to take on a life of their own. They've got to be empowered um, in order to keep working that magic in your mind. Um, and, and, you know, lots of people cast doubt on our dreams when we voice them and one of the most difficult things for me to do was to tell people that I was actually going to even attempt it because I had two big failures in previous races but it's um it's that thing about you know breathing life into your dream holding it there and um, allowing it to 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 pull you forward um, you know that, that that for me is, is, is how I sort of conceptualize it and the I, other I, really powerful sorry Chris the other really powerful element here is that it, it links absolutely with passion. I mean, I, I, I turned the sort of first principle, have a dream, but it's also have a passion. And there are lots of people who have the dream, but they don't follow it. They don't honor it because it might not be that sensible. Um, I mean, let's be fair. Andy's dream to run 66 ultra marathons isn't sensible, particularly. Um, Ben Saunders, who's the polar explorer I was talking uh, to and interviewed for the book, he decided his career path wasn't going to be uh, the army. He he was at Sandhurst, but he he left Sandhurst after eleven months, I think, and pursued a career in adventure, and became a polar explorer. Now that's not a sensible career option. Alan Hinks, who wrote mountain you know mountaineers, that's not a sensible career option either. Not compared to teaching, which is what he gave up. But these guys had the um, had the courage, I guess, to follow their true passion and not not to just let it go no i'd agree with that absolutely and, and it's interesting to look at the word passion i mean many people think of passion you think you know they've got a, a, a burning desire to achieve something and well i guess every every 31st of december people have a burning desire to achieve their new year's resolutions but then they find out that burning desire turns into inflammation of the wishbone because by the 15th of the month or the, the, the start of the next month, you know, that they've given up on their dream. They've given up mm. on their goals. Pa so they, they're clearly not, they're not passionate about achieving, are they? No, that's right. Passion's closer to love. Um, mm. And actually, one of the things you said to me when, um, when we were chatting first time is that y you have to fall in love with the processes. You have to fall in love with the stuff that you have to do in order to run the the you know, 66 ultra marathons or whatever it is that you're going to do. You can't just love the outcome. You have to love you're, you're, what it is that you do. You're absolutely right, Simon. Yeah, you are. And, and, and I've further defined my definition of passion. It, for me, you know, it's the, the more attached you are to the achievement of your dream, the more your passion grows. But what it turns into, it, it turns into a, a kind of tough, optimistic enthusiasm that just it doesn't accept negativity. It doesn't accept inconvenience. And it actually drives you to succeed. It, you know, it becomes the driver. Yeah. And, of course, the other thing that you mentioned that goes 
alongside it absolutely is curiosity because that that comes out of passion and loving the processes you become curious about how could i then how can i then and when you hit the hurdles instead of thinking oh well that's it i'm stuffed you start to ask the question well oh God, how do how do i get past this one then and mm. um and i from from again looking at all the other world class people James became a world barista champion because he was curious about how you make and serve an even better cup of coffee. Kenny's become a twice Michelin star chef because he wants to create even better food and serve even better food and create an even better environment for his his diners. Um, mm. and, and, and Alan Hinks climbs ever higher mountains because he just wants to climb ever higher, more difficult mountains. Not because he wants to collect a set of 14, 8,000 meter peaks. Sure. And, and that that comes out of the dream and the passion and 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 love for what you do. Uh, and I guess Andy, Andy, just to, before we move on to the next one, uh, you mentioned in there about crystallising the dream. So uh, I, I guess these dreams, when you first have them, don't come out fully formed. You have to do something with them to turn them into something that you can then strive for maybe so is is a, a process involved and i'm thinking about when people set up a business you know they, they they work on that dream become very clear about what it is they want to do and then they start ideally start moving forward yeah i mean for me um in namibia at the time when challenge 66 was conceived my goal my my visualization of success was um was getting to the skeleton coast dipping my feet in the water and then sitting down and having a cold beer <laughs> and, and and challenge 66 in, in many ways kind of w- was the same because I gave up alcohol um, 15 months before I completed the event. So bef- before I started the event, a year before I gave up alcohol and my visualization was a cold glass of pint of beer on the finishing line on my 50th birthday, which is when I completed the event. So it can be something very, very simple that has quite a bit of power to be able to keep you focused and keep your mind on the visualization of actually achieving it. And, you know, many people have different dreams, health dreams, wealth dreams, um, or, you know, endurance. Very good. Um, so let's move on to the, the second principle then. Um, we, we've formulated or crystallized this dream. So the second principle is about focusing on the next step. So, Simon, in your opinion, how do you know, exceptional people and, and business people as well. How do they keep focus on that next step when so many things must be distracting them? Like, you know, people saying to Andy, that you must be mad. Yeah, that, that would be one of the distractions. Um, the other thing that I think distracts people often is they lock themselves into a future. They lock themselves into the outcome. You know, what What will the result of this be? How will this look in X number of years' time? And by doing that, they distract themselves from the present. They distract themselves from actually paying attention to the things that they need to do right now. Um, it's all very well having the visions, and most people are kind of driven by a vision. But actually, our attention needs to be absolutely in the present. So if it's not, we're not going to perform well in the present. And I think, you know, we talked about loving the processes our focus follows our interest and if we are interested in the pro- the process then we will focus on it we'll we'll allow ourselves to be absorbed into the present if we're only interested in the outcome then inevitably our focus is going to be drawn into the future and we're not going to focus on the moment and focus on the step that we're on right now all of the world class people that i've come across 
are brilliant at focusing on the next step because actually there's nothing more interesting to them than this step here right now. Um, I, I explained it to a tennis player a little while ago who was very results orientated by saying to him, you have to be more interested in how you hit the ball than where the ball lands. And he said, that's ridiculous, because if the ball lands just one side of the line, it's out, and I lose points. And if it lands a little bit the other side of the line, it's in, and I get points. I said, yeah, that's fine, but you have to be more interested in how you hit it, because then you'll understand how to flight the ball, how to put the right weight on the ball, how to spin the ball, and then you'll get the ball where you want it to. I think that's very good. Uh, a very good insight, and I and I guess we, something that we could take away with us for life in general, like um, you know, for those of us who can be dreamers, are actually being present with our families over dinner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Making sure that every email that you send or communication that you do, you're present now, so you're actually doing it to the best of your ability. Mm. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so your next your next principle was keep it simple. Um, yeah. So, so what does that mean for you, Simon? Well, if you if you ask any of any world class performer about their job, most of them will say, "Oh, my job's really simple." Chris Cook, as a swimmer, would say, "My job's really simple. All I have to do is swim two lengths of the pool as quick as I can." And it, it was amazing that when I spoke to Andy about this, um, and we were talking about how do you actually go about running sixty six back to back ultra marathons. You know, Chris Cook had five keys by which he became seventh fastest in history, five things, key processes that he needed to do. Andy McMenemy said, oh, I just had these five little things I had to do. Um, and that really shows the similarity in the thinking between world-class performers. They understand the essentials and, and the very fundamental things that they need to get right. They're not very many. They're perfectly simple. They're all processes. Um and he'll no doubt explain what the five things were that allowed him to do something that most of us would perceive as impossible. Mm. And I think you, you make a, an interesting point. I remember going back to interview that we did with Chris, though, that it did take – it was quite a paradigm shift, wasn't it, when the simplicity of what was really important became crystal clear, and then everything changed, didn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. And he realized that that was his job, just to swim – two lengths of the pool as fast as he could and the, t the team supporting him that was their objective too suddenly mm -hmm. things started to change that's right because he's actually dedicating all of his energy resource and focus into doing something which will propel him and he's not focused on trying to do 200 things now he understands what the five key things are and he can dedicate his time and energy to the five most significant most important most impacting things that he could possibly do yeah so, so tell us about what, what, what for you, Andy, were those those five fundamentals that helped you succeed and, and meant that you were keeping things simple? Well, my, my job became to run for, for six to six and a half, maybe seven and a half hours a day, depending on the terrain that I was facing. So my job was, was a manual, a manual job for six or seven hours each day. And in order to complete my job successfully, I, I found out there were five essentials. I had to be in control of the pace that I was running at. It had to be sustainable, uh, for 66 days. I had to make sure that I was taking on board the correct levels of hydration, so fluids to help the body recuperate and recover. Um, I had to make sure I had proper nutrition, so the, the correct levels of calories and quality 
of, of food I was taking on board. And then it was recuperation, so hands-on physiotherapy, um, which I needed even more once the injuries manifested themselves. And the final thing was good quality sleep, Chris, good quality rest at night to allow the body to recover before it was assaulted the next day with the same challenge. Mm. <clears throat> so, so those you, you focus on those every single day, did you? And, I did. Uh, and, and, and that's what helped to see you through ultimately. Absolutely. And, and I knew that if I got one of those wrong, there would be problems. Um, in, in one of the stages, we were transitioning to a hotel. We didn't get to the hotel till half past 12 at night. Um, and I had to be out of bed at six o'clock in the morning to prepare for the next day. I was tired. I was in pain. Um, I wasn't particularly hungry. And I just said to the team, look, I'm just going to bed because I'm, I'm tired. I'm not having physio. I'm not having an ice bath. I'm just going to bed. And they let me. And I woke up the next morning feeling a bit petulant because I'd thrown my teddy out the cot. Um, very, very tired, mentally feeling a bit low. And on top of that, I had very heavy legs because I hadn't had any physio. So I found out that it's, um, it's not about doing what's easy. It's about doing what's right. Hmm. I think we can probably all relate to that at, at, at some point about, yeah, sometimes we can take shortcuts, but actually, and particularly in this instance for you, you've got to keep on doing what is actually right. I, I think there was a, a principle in there, I, I, I can't remember, it was one that you'd, uh, you'd mentioned, Simon, which was pace, which was this positive attitude, consistent effort. Um, is that one of the principles in, in how to shine, Simon? Well, that's actually one so that Andy mentioned Andy. to me. Yeah, yeah, because in addition to having to pace himself properly, and and it, it's really, I mean, Andy was talking about running at the right pace so that it's sustainable. Andy and I have been training together um, for a daft event that we've got um, lined up in a year or so, and he's been trying to teach me how to run slower. And honestly, it, it it's counterintuitive, um, and it takes effort to monitor your pace. So. Whilst it sounds it sounds like the easy option to run slower, actually there's an, an incredible discipline to it, and also there's a discipline to all the other things that that Andy was talking about. You know, consistently eating and drinking um, all through the day and specific amounts. And and I mean, you were taking on what six and a half thousand calories a day, Andy. That's about right, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's it, yeah, that's it hard to eat. I mean, I'm a big guy and I've got a massive appetite, but you know, I'd struggle to eat three or four thousand calories a day um so there's there's discipline behind all of that it they are simple processes but simplicity doesn't necessarily mean it's easy um which chris cook would also tell you and and that's what world-class people do they stick to simple processes very consistently and they're incredibly disciplined about doing it mm. so t tell us about uh, don't we've only got a couple of minutes to commercial break but don't um by, uh, what do you mean by don't compromise, Simon? Because I know that was another key principle. Well, don't compromise. If you take it at face value, sounds, you know, sounds, if you take it very literally, it means you wouldn't compromise on anything at any point. And actually, that's not realistic because we, we all have to compromise at some point about some things. Nobody's got limitless resources. But what world-class people are able to do is understand where the line is. What will you compromise and what will you absolutely not compromise? And those decisions that, that normal people make compared to world-class people are often very different on this basis. There are some things that 
most people would think were just tiny details and relatively unimportant and it won't matter whether we do them or not but world-class people will absolutely protect those things because they know how important they are um, and, and that's why don't compromise is a principle of um, world-class performance and, and you know allows people to become world-class in their field Fantastic. We're going to go um, to commercial break um, right now, and the last one. But I just want to—I'm going to ask you after the break about uh, um, some of the challenges you had, Andy, and I know you didn't uh, compromise on them. So we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment, and that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchievemore.com. If you've got any comments about our show, please do send them to me. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I'm going to go straight in, back into um, talking about an uncompromising attitude because um, it seems, Andy, that uh, your uncompromising attitude, in particular towards your injuries during the challenge, um, made the difference between you uh, you know, completing it or not completing it. I mean, maybe could you share what happened because uh, it's, uh, it, it's quite incredible? Yeah, um 
I did have a problem with my left knee. I had um, arthritis in the left knee and I had that um, taken care of by a surgeon about six months before we commenced the Challenge 66 event. So I took a physiotherapist, uh, sorry, a sports therapist onto the team with us just to, uh, to help in case there were any complications from that knee injury. But unfortunately on day two, I tore my Achilles tendon on the right ankle, which was completely unforeseen and I had no experience of that type of injury before. Um, which caused quite a lot of consternation amongst the team because with 64 days left to run, here is the, the athlete and the focus of the event um, injured. So uh, alarm bells were ringing. Um, I said to Sophie, what are we going to do? She was a sports therapist. She said, I don't know. I've never, never treated an athlete um, with a torn Achilles tendon who's persistent on running 31 miles a day. So I said, well, phone the sports injury Therapy Society of Great Britain and ask them if any of their consultants have ever worked with an athlete with a torn tendon who's going to run 31 miles a day on it. And the answer was no. So we had a team huddle and uh, I said, well, guess what? We'll, we'll be the first because we're not quitting on day two. And it kind of galvanized everyone. You know, it, uh, we're just going to find a way to work through the problem day by day, step by step. And whatever we whatever we find, we have to find a plan to contend with. And, and I can only say, Chris, it was as simple as that. We just took one day at a time. Uh, I mean, how did you mentally deal with the pain? Um, it's excruciating. It, it was, and it was really interesting because people had said to me in the run-up to the event, what happens if you fail? And I said, what happens if I don't? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, what happens if you get injured? And I said, what happens if I don't? And then I found myself injured on day two. And I thought, now is it now is the time to start digging into your psychology. Now is the time to start digging into your your positive mental toolkit. And what are you going to put out of the bag to deal with this? And all I could say to you is that I just I just relaxed. I didn't stress about it. I allowed those people in the team that had the expertise to help me to do what they did. And I had to concentrate on doing what I had to do, which was to get out there and to put one foot in front of the other for 50,000 strides to get to the 50,000 meters it was going to take to run that day. So I'd like to tell you it was something really complicated, but it wasn't. Mm. It was just simple. It would have been very easy to complicate it in your own mind, though. You could have thought of all of the barriers, all of the limitations, all the excuses and all the reasons not to if you wanted to. Yeah, and the more I focused on the injury, the more I thought about it, the more I found myself tensing up and trying to compensate for it. And I deliberately didn't want it strapped because it would constantly draw my attention to the uncomfortable feeling of the strapping. So we didn't strap it. Um, and normally the, the injury protocol is to rice it. You rest it, ice it, compress it, and elevate it. Well, that wasn't an option during the run. But then we came up with the idea of what if we stuff ice cubes down the sock to chill it while we're running around the track. And in some of these instances, I was running 125 laps of a 400 meter running track to make up the mileage each day. And that's what we did. We massaged it. We took sports therapy breaks to uh, to help alleviate the, the pressure on the joints. And we iced it on the run. Mm. And didn't you go and fracture a shin as well? Um, that was a compensation injury about uh, about six days after. Uh, just for the record, Chris, we ran that injury, that Achilles tendon, which happened on day two. We ran that back to health in 16 days with no day's rest. 
and it never caused another problem. Gosh, is it was that uh, was that a first? Has anybody done that before? I think Sophie wrote the active science for how <laughs> to treat um, how to treat that injury, um, and, and I just put the effort in as the athlete. Uh, very, very interesting, isn't it? Because um, with mo most injuries of that sort of nature, people would say the therapy for it is rest. Uh, mm. <laughs> you did the opposite. Yeah. And, and it just goes to show that, you know, you, you, you sometimes if you're going to succeed against the odds, you sometimes have to challenge conventional wisdom. Yeah. So, so I want to I go. Let's move on from that, because uh, there's a number of other points to, to cover. Um, but I just I know there was another a principle, which is about pushing the envelope. And, you know, if I look at the, the, the term, it's commonly used as a. As a meaning to attempt to extend the current limits of performance, to innovate, to go beyond commonly accepted boundaries. Now, I want to, Andy, uh, why didn't you choose to do, say, 55 marathons? Well, you know, that would have been a, a, good, a good next step and uh, a significant raising of the bar. Why, why do another six miles a day or um, five miles a day plus another 16 days? Yeah, the, the, the reason for that, Chris, is that I, I chose to support um, a, a charity here in the UK called the Soldiers Charity. They're the Army's national charity and they look after soldiers and their families for life. Um, I, my, my Challenge 66 event was dedicated in, in its entirety to help raise money and awareness for the fantastic job that charity did. And when I looked at the geographics of um, the cities in the UK, there were 66 official cities that have the charter from the Queen. Um, there were 50 in England, five in Wales, five in Northern Ireland and six in Scotland. So it made perfect sense to align the challenge with a national awareness campaign of the charity. Mm, I see. Um, I mean, uh, Simon, do you think, I mean, uh, there's some really interesting parallels here for business about having having a, a dream, focusing on the next step, keeping things uh, simple so everybody's kind of clear about what they're doing. Don't compromise. Uh, push the envelope. But I mean, does, do you think that by pushing the envelope as far as we can, you know, isn't, isn't the planet already suffering from people and companies out, trying to outdo each other? I'm not saying that's what you're trying to do, Andy, because I, I realise it wasn't. But mm. yeah, th there's a potential that people could. <clears throat> even innovate for the sake of it. Um, this wasn't innovation for the sake of it. Um, I mean, the human nature is that we as a human race do push the envelope. Um, we wouldn't have put a rocket on the moon. We wouldn't have sent a space probe out to Mars if we weren't pushing the envelope. As human beings, we do do that. I mean, one of the things I've noticed with world-class people, they are willing to step way beyond A, their comfort zone, and B, the comfort zone that was created by anybody else. And in doing so, they actually start to turn what was previously impossible into possible. And they lay a roadmap for the people. Um, you know, four-minute mile for, for how, God knows how long was considered an impossible speed. You couldn't run a mile in four minutes. And But as soon as Roger Bannister did, loads of people followed him almost immediately. Um, you know, Andy's run 66 ultramarathons. The, since him, uh, you know, this was only, what, two years ago this summer. Since Andy did that, there'll be people out there doing all sorts of things now because they've now got a concept that this this must be possible. Um, you know, one person goes up Everest, now thousands have gone up Everest. One person did all the 14,000 metre peaks, now several people have done the four, 14, 8,000 metre peaks. So I think it, it is important, not not for the sake of it, 
but it's important for human beings to keep pushing themselves further than they have. This, this is the whole reason why Andy and I are embarking on a challenge um, next year. It's my personal question, could I do something like that? Is this something that I could do? I'm not an athlete, I'm not a runner. Um, I have to answer that question as an individual. It's, got to be, it's part of my life journey. I want to know. I think the, the thing we need to understand is that, yes, we all have a comfort zone and we're comfortable inside of that comfort zone. But what's outside the comfort zone? What do we call that area? Most people say it's uncomfortable, it's uncertain, it's unsure. It's actually your potential zone. All of your potential is outside of your comfort zone. And that's where we progress. And, and I guess we don't know what that gap is until we try to test it. Do we? Absolutely. That's right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't think pushing the envelope is something that, or innovation is something that people should do for the sake of it. There's got to be a very good reason for it. Um, but lots of people are trapped within their comfort zone because they're afraid of what might happen if they step beyond. Yeah. <clears throat> do you want to briefly share what that event is next year? Is that something you can share on air with us? Yeah, we, we're um, our event is we're, we're going to start in London. We're going to jump into two sea kayaks and kayak up the North Sea um, to John O'Groats at the northern northeastern tip of Scotland and then jump on two bikes and cycle to the southwestern tip of um, England, Land's End, and then put on the running shoes and run back to London again. That's our, that's our little jaunt. Fantastic. And how long is that going to take you? About 40 days. <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, it's um, it, it certainly you know I, when we conceived of this challenge, I was running about three miles at a time, a couple of times a week. Um, mm. So you know, I, inspired by people like Andy and Bruce Duncan, who's another guy who I interviewed for How to Shine. You know, these guys have achieved some incredible things. And like I said right at the top of the show, they're ordinary guys. You know, they weren't born superhuman. They don't have. Um, you know, a, a different substance running around their veins. They're, they're flesh and blood like the rest of us. Mm. I've just got a few minutes till we uh, we conclude now. So let's um, just, just quickly take responsibility. Uh, and Andy, do you want to tell yeah. talk a little bit about that? What's the what's the right balance between taking responsibility yourself and maybe delegating to others, for example? I, I think it comes back to the point Simon was making about having the ability to understand and know your job and what you are good at. Um, we never succeed in these types of events on our own, Chris. There's always a team of support, um, you know, our families, um, our support crew, and we have to understand where everyone's individual strengths lie. There was no point in me trying to take care of my own injuries when I had a sports therapist on board, and there was no point in me trying to take care of logistical issues when I had a project director on board. So my job was to be the athlete to run, um, and my responsibility was to take care of my job. Uh, <clears throat> and leave the responsibility, the other things, to other people. Yeah, that, that was where their skill sets lay, and that's why they were part of the team. Uh, fantastic. We've got, um, we've got just a, uh, about a minute or two to close. So I just wonder what, um, what are your key messages that you'd like to leave us with? Um, how about you, Simon? Well, I think as I closed How to Shine, as I wrote the last page, um, I understood that really everything comes back to having that, passion having that love for what you do and that ultimately is what drives people through all the hurdles it allows them to take all the knocks um, it allows them to push themselves when when times are really tough 
Um, so kind of my concluding message behind it always, be honest, be authentic, do what you love and love what you do. Great. And how about you, Andy? Well, for me, Chris, I think um, I, I've come to learn that um, we, we have choices in life. We always do have choices. But for me, the choice is that we have the opportunity to go through life just being pushed around by the circumstances of life. Or we can go through life being pulled by the power of our dreams in a direction that we want to go. So I would encourage everyone that's listening to the show today just to think about their dreams and allow those dreams to pull them forward in the direction they really want to go. You know, we can all deal with the circumstances. Uh, gentlemen, you've been an absolute pleasure to talk to. I think uh, it's, this has been absolutely fascinating with some great uh, ideas and, and steps. So uh, thank you very much, and I hope you've enjoyed uh, being with me today. Very much. Thank, thank you. you very much, Chris. Uh, you're very welcome. If you want to find out more information about Simon, uh, go to www.b-world-class.com. And if you're interested in a copy of his excellent um, books, uh, Peak Performance Every Time and How to Shine, are available from Amazon.co.uk. And uh, for Andy Menemy, go to Andy, sorry, Andy McMenemy, go to andymcmenemy.co.uk. Uh, That's um, M-C-M-E-N-E-M-Y.co.uk. If you've got any questions or feedback, please send them to myself, Chris at bemoreachievemore.com or leave on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash bemoreachievemore. For information on upcoming shows, um, do join my uh, newsletter on uh, Be More Achieve More and on next week's show we're going to talk about great service sales and we've got um, uh, a, an expert in uh, customer service um, Derek Williams who's known as Mr. Wow he has something called the Wow Awards uh, we've also got an expert in sales who used to um, be a very senior player in Encyclopedia Britannica and uh, has been around the sales environment for many many years and I they'll think they'll be fascinating guests next week so in the meantime have a fantastic week and uh, I wish you all well <music> for listening to be more achieve more please join your host chris cooper again next friday at 8 a.m u.s pacific time typically 4 p.m london on the voice america business channel enjoy your week